0: Hello and welcome to Local Zero Throughout February we've been talking to people who've been working hard over the past four years to help turn their communities into energy smart places Energy smart places bring together energy supply, demand, people and infrastructure locally in a really
2: smart way This is the fourth and final weekly episode of our mini series, covering some of the very exciting findings from smart local energy projects that have been funded through the UK governments Prospering from the Energy Revolution Programme, or PIFR for short. All three of our previous chats on policy, finance, and skills are available now wherever you get your pods. This week, we'll be
0: focusing on how these cutting-edge projects have impacted and engaged with citizens and communities. Joining us later are Eva Gudunex from Repowering and Jamie Ray from the
2: Electric Storage Company. So more from them later on. And as ever, if you're a fan of Local Zero, do take a couple of quick seconds to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at LocalZeroPod. If you're on Mastodon, then you can reach us at hashtag LocalZeroPod. You can also find us on our website, LocalZeroPod.com, or send questions to our email at LocalZeroPod at gmail.com. No stone unturned (laughs) there, Fred. Plenty of ways to contact us if you need us. We're extremely well-branded, that felt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. so how, how are you? How are you getting on? I'm good, Matt. How have things been with you? Good. Yes, this
0: has been something of a marathon of episodes. We've been churning these out weekly. So uh, I don't know about you, but I, I feel uh, punch drunk from from getting all these out. But I have to say, it's been been excellent fun and we've learned a tremendous amount. I'm just glad we recorded
2: it to uh, play it back to ourselves and remind us what we, what we should know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, th- I think one of the, the key takeaways from all of this is that, even doing weekly episodes just isn't enough time to get into all of the exciting things happening in the space, all the yeah. all the work that's been going on, all the lessons that have been learned, all the the impacts, all the things happening going forward. It's 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 massive, but it is exciting. That's the the key word, I think.
0: And just how quickly this space is moving forward, you know, in terms of what our homes, what our workplaces might look like, not just in the kind of you know in the uh, distant future, but in, within the next few years, because this is what this this program is set up to do, is is to provide proof of concept, not just proof of concept, but to actually get this in people's homes and workplaces and to show this works, this can save people money, this can bring emissions down, and ultimately, and this is the big one, make your life a little bit better.
2: Absolutely. It's the the amount of work, the sheer scale of work, when you think about it, even with our you know three, this will be four little episodes about the prospering from the energy revolution program which you know is is one of a, a few spaces where innovation here is happening the main space where innovation on local energy systems is happening mm. the scale of that work from these episodes the the topics that we've covered the the projects that we've covered yep. from anywhere you know the 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 project the green skies project in london to the projects in oxford and oxfordshire yeah. uh, to orkney we've the the amount of ground is it's massive. UK-wide. And that's really important
0: to, to demonstrate. This isn't just concentrated in one, you know, it is, it is. borough or region. Uh, this is something that all UK citizens can benefit from. And, and I guess... the Value of today's episode is well. How do we engage with these citizens? How do we articulate the types of impacts that they'll feel? How do we encourage them to sign up? Because ultimately, this is going to go from what is a grant-funded program where individuals, households, companies are being asked to sign up for for some kind of benefit, but you know, ultimately, to generate knowledge and and be part of the experiment. This is going to be on the open market in due course. In fact, many of these systems uh, are already. And so, you know, we've got to encourage them uh, to think differently and to actually put their money where their mouth is.
2: This is crucial. This is crucial. This isn't a, a nice to have. This isn't a distant, far away concept. This is, in terms of ways that we can fully address the climate emergency, bearing in mind that's our, you know, our, our primary concern, addressing that and yeah. and supporting a just transition in the energy system. The opportunity from local energy systems, smart local energy systems, is massive. And the the demonstration from initiatives like this um, have, have brought us forward mm. leaps and bounds. And I think that 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 point on citizens and communities. This came out of our our previous episode. It was a uh, Louise Louise Alter from from Equans, who's been on a few different projects, raised this um, this element of the impact on citizens and communities and how you engage with with people within this process. Yeah. is so so fundamental because ultimately these things are. This is this is how you heat your home. This is how you interact whether that's with your bill, with your local community, how you get around your town or your city. All of these things have an impact directly on you. And doing it at that local level, those with those sort of with those lessons, we can bring that even closer to people, mm. which is why it's so crucial to to make sure that we're we're doing all we can to bring people everywhere on board, not just those who can afford it as well. I've been rather inspired by what we've heard over the last few episodes and I have actually
0: Uh, Put my name forward to to become uh, shouldn't say guinea pig, but a guinea pig um, in one of these uh, one of these projects, (laughs) and uh, I'm rather excited. Haven't been selected yet, I might say, but it's for the Energy Systems Catapult uh, Living Lab, Um, and I put my name forward to be part of their uh, Tado trial. Tado trial, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's for smart thermostats, smart radiators. Some people will get excited by that some people may be hitting the snooze button. but if you can think about something that's going to shave off 10 20 percent off your gas bill that becomes exciting if there's you know if you're in a in a, in a maybe a, a larger house or or even you know not particularly big one but you've got a spare room or whatever and you can kind of remotely control these and turn them off and turn them back on when you need them. Um, uh, so anyway, watch this space i'm going to potentially have somebody in tearing up uh, carpets and put it in uh, all sorts of uh, of gizmos <laughs> and gadgets but um yeah could be very excited about that and for me from a learning experience you will see how these individuals how these citizens feel firsthand because they're they're putting their trust in these in these projects and to make sure that they are looking after them but they're going to be treated well and uh, positively impacted
2: that's super exciting it's super super exciting and I, there's there's a whole there's a wider I don't want to sound like I've just discovered innovation. It's it's happening all the time. It's around us all the time. But there's a lot more happening just now in terms of innovation with people in their homes and how you you interact with the energy system. Yeah. So we've covered before the kind of you know the big turn down the the work with National Grid to get people to you know reduce your demand at peak times. Things like this. Things like smart local energy systems. I I find that really really. Really fascinating in terms of the process of of innovation, uh, some of the key sort of opportunities from that. But like how how you engage people within that process, I've I've always found it fascinating. So I I look forward, Matt, to hearing your experience on that. Well, yeah, and hopefully possible. Either way, you'll hear from me <laughs> but, because
0: that's what wait, no, that's what we're here for. Um, but uh, I think what I'd say about that engagement piece is. You know, we've got, we're facing energy bills going up again in mm-hmm. on the 1st of April, and people will be going, oh, no, not again. It's not really being, I'd say, publicized in the, in the way I'd like to see it. Um, for, for everybody, this will effectively be, or for most people, it will effectively be a 43% rise, be a 20% rise on the energy price guarantee, plus you're losing your £400 uh, grant. Mm-hmm. So for the average dual fuel direct debit uh, bill, uh, Payer that's going up from two thousand one hundred to three thousand in April the first. So a lot of people, uh, hopefully, your jaws haven't hit the floor entirely at that point. But on that engagement piece, I think that's what's really for me really spurred on the the public's appetite to engage with these new technologies, new services, new tariffs. Because how else are you going to crunch these bills? You know, trying to br- raise and I, Lord knows I've tried to do it myself. Take a, a leaky old nineteen twenties house, hundred years old. And and crank up that efficiency. You can't do that overnight. Mm-hmm. But actually, some of these things are much, much potentially much quicker hit. So I, I'm yeah. I, I'm it's been a horrible period for the country, but I am I am positive about what this might mean for people's mindset going forward. An appetite for this kind of stuff. It
2: has forced. I've been asked the question a few times. Do you, do, do people are people more literate with energy these days? Do people understand it more. And I think to a massive degree, yes. But to a larger degree, people are questioning it more and asking, where are the solutions? What can we do differently? So even, um, you know, we we talk a lot on on this pod about ourselves and people that that we know who might have their own, you know, solar panels or batteries or might be more smart tech inclined or innovation inclined um, and able to afford or, or willing to find a way to afford those kinds of things. But... I've found that, you know, in in work that I've been doing recently in in community centres, I was at a community um, climate assembly event a couple of weeks ago in Aberdeen, Mm -hmm. Um, but even just regular conversations with, with my friends and family. People... People everywhere, this, this isn't just the, the purview of the, the middle classes who might be able to afford it and have the roof space. Yeah. People everywhere understand that change is happening, that change needs to happen, that there's potential benefit on offer. What we need to do, I think, as a sort of industry, a sector, however we define ourselves, is figure out how best to capture that um, and, to, and to channel it for for, for something much bigger, for, for everyone's benefit, for for the planet's benefit, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. And I mean, just that, that literacy is a really interesting point. I mean, I found myself, and this is, I'm going to show my my uh, true colours here, just how sad, potentially middle class I actually am. I'd ended up having about a 20 minute conversation with my mum on the phone about the best time to put on your dishwasher or your slow cooker. I mean, that's that's seriously, like, <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of conversation but it was actually what was getting into this it was it was about saving money it was about still retaining that quality of life doing things slightly differently and she was teaching me stuff you know this is i've been around the block on this subject for quite a while and here she was oh did you know this did you know that and so maybe there is something in this you know this crisis in terms of driving that literacy but as you say a lot of it boils down to do you have the autonomy do you have the disposable income to make those interventions yeah
2: and this is a this is a critical issue as well and something that actually delivering energy more locally provides new opportunities for because part of doing this fairly is ensuring that people are are engaged with brought into the process uh, meaningfully that they have an ongoing role within that process as well as the ability to benefit and that speaks really really neatly to the, the topic of our, our session today. So I think without any further ado, let's bring in the guests.
3: Hi there, my name is Jamie Ray. I'm uh, the operations director for the electric storage company, and I was responsible for delivering Project Girona in Coleraine in Northern Ireland.
4: Hi, everyone. My name is Eva and I work for a community energy development organization called Repairing London, and I'm here to talk about a project that we worked on recently called Green Skies in the north of London in Islington.
0: Eva, Jamie, lovely to have you along. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so today we're talking very much around citizen and community impacts of smart local energy places, but also how we engage communities. But before we get into the weeds on this, I was hoping that you could, each of you could tell us a little bit more about your respective organizations and some of the Prospering from the Energy Revolution program projects that you've been involved with, particularly what's different about them, what's exciting about them, and, and ultimately what kind of changes might mean down the line for people. So I wonder, Eva, if we might begin with you.
4: Sure, thank you, Matt, uh, happy to be here. Yeah, so I work for an organization called Repowering London, And what we do is that we support communities in London to create renewable energy projects. Um, These renewable energy projects can take multiple forms. Um, So far, they've been mostly solar panel projects. Um, But we also do a lot around supporting people in fuel poverty. Our vision is really to try and build a greener and a fairer energy system that works for everyone and that belongs to people. And I'm the community engagement program manager. So, I'm involved in everything that's community facing. And yes, the PFAR project that we worked on is called Green Skies. It's in Islington. And the last phase of this project was to produce a detailed design for a smart local energy system in Islington. And I thought what was super exciting about it is that the project was around heating, cooling, solar, EV, and smart control. So this integration of loads of different elements. But the coolest thing was that for the heating part, the idea was to reuse waste heat from a local data center.
0: And really brings that local kind of place focus, you know, exactly right, right into the heart of that design because you're looking around you and saying, well, what are the sources of heat? How, how can we utilize it? Exactly. Fantastic. And Jamie, over to you, please.
3: Yeah, so the electric storage company won a uh, UKRI, UK research and innovation uh, funding to deliver a detailed design called Project Girona, named after the famous Spanish galleon that founded off the north coast of, of Ireland. And um, it was basically to demonstrate that renewable generation coupled with uh, behind the meter storage with intelligent management uh, would have positive impact for the local community, local businesses and charities, agriculture, etc. Uh, also have a positive impact on the local electricity infrastructure network in the surrounding area, so we can reduce costs and infrastructure costs, etc., like that. And really, this all comes back to to our, one of our co-founders, uh, Eddie McGoldrick, who worked in the electricity in, in, industry for thirty years and always found that it was very sort of opaque. You got what you're given. He wanted to empower people businesses, et cetera. And the way he saw about doing that was to put the control in their hands in terms of the technology, in terms of storage and generation, but also the data. And the data is the key thing for us. You know, what What am I generating? What am I consuming? What am I exporting? What am I doing with my electricity?
2: Excellent. Thanks, Jamie. Um, so so we've been speaking about these projects and, and projects around them as part of the p program the last few weeks and something that we keep coming back to every time. Is this citizens and and communities' piece? So Ava, I was wondering if you could set out for us why for for you for repowering for for green skies, why uh, putting citizens and communities at the heart of our thinking on this is so important?
4: Yeah, sure. I mean, that's at repowering London. That's the core of what we do. Like putting people at the heart of designing the future of energy. And the reason why we think it's so important is because we've built an energy system that doesn't work for the planet and doesn't really work for the people either, as we can see with what's happening now. So if we want to build something that works for the future, we believe that it's extremely important to put people at the center of it, and especially people who've been most disadvantaged by the design of the current system. So what's really important for us is working with communities that have been underserved in the current system and really getting them to support the design of the future. And I think that's why we've been called to work on green skies, because, as you said, it's a very place-based approach. And so it was very important for the other stakeholders working on the project that Islington residents would be at the center of designing this system.
3: Jamie, same question to you. Yeah, so for us, one of the aspects of Girona, or the project aims, was to demonstrate the beneficial uh, the, the the benefits of of local generation and storage with intelligent management on the local electricity network all our project participants were connected to a single substation called Logestown. and Logestown serves a particularly deprived area of northern ireland called the Sally estate a lot of social housing very low employment so we we were really driven by helping these people out with uh, and the local residents with with putting in generation and storage devices into their properties. And they're getting them for free, and they have them for free for in perpetuity to help them out. But also, what, could, what effect could we have from the local area as well? The nice thing about that was to see once the local population started to understand the benefits that this would bring to them and to the local area, how, how quickly the uptake uh, started to come through. And and that we really struggled at the start. Uh, it was one of the issues we had in the project is convincing people they were going to get, you know, £14,000 worth of kit and equipment put in their homes. They all thought it was too good to be true. Then we got our first participant who decided, uh, yeah, I'll go with this. He was an electrician. He knew exactly what it was all about. And after that, it just snowballed. But again, it comes down to how little people understand about this technology and what it can do and the benefits it can bring. And I'm not talking about your average Joe or Josephine on the, ro- on the road. We're talking about councils. We're talking about uh, social housing landlords, commercial sector, etc. cetera.
1: Mm.
4: And just to add, definitely resonates what Jamie is talking about. And to add to that, I also think for loads of people, because... You know, people have so much distrust towards the current energy system and have such little understanding of the different actors and what's going on. Mm -hmm. Engaging citizens on energy projects is a complex thing to do, and that's been a challenge for us as well, because our engagement has been very much focused on residents living on the estates, which were part of this heating and cooling and solar system. And, yeah, engaging residents on these topics is difficult because – these topics are associated with a lot of fear and yeah it's it's a big thing which is why we specialize in that
0: so how do you overcome that
4: i think i mean there's loads of things and that's an expertise we've built been building for the past 10 years but Mm. for me when i started working on that specific project what i really noticed is it's so easy when you've got loads of energy experts working on something it's so easy to end up putting together communication materials that are really hard for people to understand. (laughs) And even for me, when I started working on it, having studied energy, there was so much I didn't get because it was a complex project. And the, the terms that we use are just so technical. And that's a general thing that I feel strongly about, is that we are making energy too technical very often. But if we want loads of people to really start, you know, like if you want these projects to approach- be like approachable and accessible for most people, we need to like steer away a bit from this technical jargon. So one of my first things when I started working on it was trying to really break down the terms and make everything much, much simpler.
0: I, I mean I completely take that and think that's part part and parcel of what we try and do on this pod is is to translate many of these complex issues into a, into a language people understand. But, and, and that's very important, that communication element. What, what though are you looking to communicate with them about? Are there certain issues that you're wanting to engage with them about that you find you get more traction about? Uh, cause it, I guess you're trying to, to, whilst you're not actually selling them anything, although in a sense you're trying to get buy-in rather than uh, you know a purchase yeah you're, you're still trying to sell them a vision okay so what yeah. what what's what's what kind of values are they are they looking for sure yeah so quickly i mean one of the big things about this
4: project green skies was that we wanted this system to be co-designed with residents mm-hmm. and the reason for that is a new system like that like a heating network which is which was a big thing of this project, a heat network implies more infrastructure. It implies building an energy center next to people's estate, And so we wanted these energy centers to be co-designed with residents. So we needed to talk about this project and we needed people to understand the project so that it, then they could feed into the design and, you know, do this with the experts together. Um, so that was it was not only about the buy-in, but we actually wanted people to actively participate in designing this thing.
3: There's, there's, there's a couple of things there. I would agree totally with what Eve is saying. Is you have we found this in our own project team that we were all immersed in this mm. project. We knew what it was about. We knew what the detail was, and then we were producing content and flyers etc that really to your average person they didn't quite get and it didn't land with them and we rapidly understood now we kicked the project off as the first lockdown came in which frustrated us somewhat as well where we couldn't do go face to face with people but uh that that aside we ended up with a very simple a4 flip chart and we'd walk people through a project. This is what it looks like. This is what the battery looks like. You know, we people thinking it was going to be a car battery under their sink, not, you know, an eight or sorry, a 10 kilowatt hour battery. That's about this, you know, uh, the same sort of dimensions as a, as a fridge freezer, you know, not obviously quite as deep going into their home. Um, But the the one lesson that we really learned from people was to say well what do you want what are your requirements from your electricity asking them that question and that was a very easy way to engage with them and then for them to engage with us because they could put it in their own words that we could then translate into slightly more technical terms for for the 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 installation team etc now we it was very simple what we were doing it was roughly the same model going into each property but we still had to have the 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 tenant or the owner buy in to do this, and they had to understand it. And you know, people thought solar panels would you know we would refer them to them as PV. They didn't know what that was. We had to change our language. They thought the whole roof was going to have to come off. You know, this is going to be six weeks worth to get the battery and the PV system in. Um, whereas we were doing it at our at our height in about three quarters of a day, in and out done. And it, it was the, the great thing about our project, and I'm sure, Ava, you, you've had it with, with your projects as well, is getting positive feedback uh, from our customers and our participants. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. We had a social housing tenant. We brought their landlords up to, to see them, to visit the installation so they could see what was going into their property. And they asked uh, the owner what she thought of it. And she reached into her back pocket, pulled out her phone, and said, there is my consumption. There is my generation. That's how much I've got in the battery. I can now make a decision about can I put the washing machine on right now? You know, can I put the heating on right now? She was better informed. And in Northern Ireland, that's we don't have smart metering over here. So that's really, really important for, for our, our participants. And it was really novel and empowered them as well.
2: I love that. I love that principle of uh, not just securing buy-in but trying to support sort of more more meaningful meaningful in- engagement throughout and helping to, to shape it. But I guess sort of putting putting sort of more more color to the to the picture how do within, within your respective projects what does that engagement look like? How have people actually shaped the design of of your respective projects and how have they kept on shaping that if, if that's been the case?
4: So for us, I mean in different ways, One of the ways was co-designing these energy centers. So we've literally shown drawings to people and together we've decided, oh, okay, it could go here, you know, next to the estate on this side or on this side, there could be plants, maybe you could use the space to, I don't know, do a barbecue on top of the energy center. Like there's loads of stuff that residents were proposing and that we've included in design options. So there was this aspect a bit also about what Jamie was saying, I think for us. This project was an opportunity to try and solve some issues that residents were having anyway, because it's an infrastructure project and it meant going into people's houses and making some works. And when you go in an estate like that, there's probably some things that people want to get sorted. And this project can be an opportunity for that. Um, So there was also this sort of, I don't know if you'd call that co-design, but we did talk a lot with residents about their current issues, whether it was with heating, with hot water. Uh, with general maintenance and things like that, that Green Skies could help solving. So I would say these were the two main elements that residents really had an influence on.
3: So for Girona, we, we always took feedback from our project participants, uh, and that was interesting. But once the system was in, it was it was in. There wasn't a great deal more that they, they could really do with it, um, except report back to us about what worked and what didn't. Where we did get some really Interesting feedback was from the DNO, um, which is NIE Networks in Northern Ireland, and the utility regulator, which is our equivalent of Ofgem. The engagement we got from both of these organizations was significant. And one of the project team said that they've, they've seen light bulb mo- moments, what this technology is actually doing, you know, how we're providing them hard data that they can plan on. And for instance, we were we were talking about if we were to scale Girona into a large uh, town or city, what would that mean? And the fact that we can play back to them, you know, 24 months worth of data and say, actually, this is the effect it's having on your local network. One of the light bulb moments they had was, well, actually, the wear and tear in the local network is not going to be as high. Therefore, we're not digging up roads. Whereas if you had a, a straight out solar panel PV system there, there may be, on the sunny days, the odd sunny day that we have in Northern Ireland, a huge export, which can cause uh, significant wear and tear on the network. Actually, you put a, a battery in in front of that with smart management and optimization, that reduces that significantly. And that peak at six o'clock in the morning or at six in the evening, where we all get up and go to work and we all come back and you know sw- flick the kettle on, that's leveled out. So you know, the, it's it's not just the the, the participants, but the our, our stakeholders were really getting a lot of good information and data out of this that they're starting to look uh, uh, at using and informing future planning. Um, you know, next sort of five to eight year plan planning rounds for them. So there's
0: there's a couple of things happening here. I think, Jamie, what you're pointing at there primarily is about having insight and data to be able to make better decisions around design, which can then inform maybe a little bit more about what, what Eva's talking about there, which is about actually bringing the community into that co-design and that participatory process. And Eva, what I'm, I'd am i like to maybe just just press you on a bit further is I was really taken with your point about some of the community wanting wanted to engage with the design of these projects because there was other stuff that wasn't necessarily energy-related that they just wanted to get kind of dealt with. This is something that, Um, I've certainly seen from some of the research we've looked at in terms of retrofitting uh, tenement buildings in Glasgow or Victorian uh, mansion blocks, essentially. Um, And often it's about repairing these buildings rather than making them more energy efficient, but but there's an opportunity for intervention. So I just wanted to ask you, what were some of the common things that came up time and time again that, that really mattered to the community that they just wanted? It might not necessarily be energy related, but it just, you're like, Oh, we've heard that before. Yeah.
4: So as part of this network that we were designing, we chose a state that had a communal heating system because that's what enabled to, you know, it was, it's then relatively easy to change the heating source when there is communal heating for the whole building. Um, and people had, you know, talking about the lack of flexibility of the communal heating system, the fact that sometimes the heating was on for too long or for too short, they were talking about the history of maintenance and repairs around the system and some dissatisfactions that they've had in the past. So there were loads of stuff about the current communal heating system. Basically, that was one of the big things that we ended up talking about. Yeah. And then the other big thing really is around costs. I think that was like, what was quite hard with engagement on this project is that we're talking about very early stages of a project. We're designing something like we're just making plans. And we wanted to talk to people about these plans. But obviously, people are very focused on how much is this going to cost me? What does this mean for my bills? And we didn't even really know that yet because we were at such early stages that it was very hard to say, especially when you're working with council estates, which have their own billing system um, for the communal heating. So it's all really complex. And then you want to engage people. Uh, uh, Yeah, Exactly. Yeah,
0: and quite place specific. I remember my my sister living in the south of London in an old Victorian uh, mansion block with a district heating system. Yeah. Goodness knows how how old it was. Um, But the service charge just to keep that thing running, you know, it was kind of all bills in. But you'd have thought, I think it goes back to a really important point, is value is relative and it's benchmarked against what what you currently have. So I think that's really interesting you're asking those questions. Jamie, is there something that came up with the communities you were dealing with, you know? time and time again, that there was a sort of top three things that that, that bothered them and they wanted dealt with or or opportunities?
3: Well, the the first thing that hit us straight off the bat, and I'm sure any sort of smart electricity system that's going in, and I've got no doubt ever your projects will be the same, is there has to be some sort of, broadband connection for the thing to work um one of our precursors and it was absolutely heartbreaking you go to some of these these tenants um and you say look will you do this are you happy for this to go in they're saying yeah we'd love to but they, they couldn't afford broadband we couldn't put the system in mm-hmm. because we uh, our solution did not have a 2g or a gprs uh, signal no as i said i mentioned our project kicked off just as the first pandemic lockdown kicked in you're maybe you're lucky if these households have one device in there that the the, the three or four children in there are d- getting homeschooling from and they don't have a broadband connection and we engage with the local council and local charities there to see if we could do something about that but it just it's it's a perennial problem and i'm not saying they were rolling their eyes they weren't rolling their eyes but you could see they'd been around this boy a few times before in terms of this is a problem that we need to sort out so for some of those properties and some of those households that we would have dearly loved to deploy our kit and equipment in and they would have benefited massively from them we just couldn't do it because we couldn't get the solution the solution just would not work so that is something we've looked at uh, products out there that we can have either a, a you know if a social landlord will fund it they will have a you know, like a 3G or a GPRS uh, linked inverter that we can do that. And then there were other issues that they they just didn't know about. For instance, one we one of the community centres that had a food bank in it didn't have a three phase supply. It already had electrical supply, uh, or electrical fire had loop services going into it. It was just a nightmare, and we had to sort all that out before we got our kit and equipment in. We had to deal with the landlord and the the local DNO to do all that so that apart from the savings in terms of co2 and pounds, shillings and pence they ended up with a better property at the end of it or a better location
0: yeah and for for me time and time again these offerings are not positioned as a package of value it's not just about emissions or or, or bills as you say a better home connectivity you know telephony being able to connect remotely to the wider world either your point around um, maintenance and upkeep of your property, or you start to talk about civic infrastructure, a barbecue on top of an energy centre. For me, that's the way into these communities to talk about their lives in the round. And I'll pause there because I can see Fraser's looking very pensive, and this is where he normally
2: says something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it was on this entirely. It was that I'll, I'll be quick. It was we were at, um, helping facilitate. So I, I come from the northeast of Scotland, as listeners know. And we were facilitating an event around this—a kind of co-design event, citizens' assembly-style thing—in quite a rundown area in Aberdeen, looking into what a, a local energy system or 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 even just some kind of uh, retrofit efficiency service might look like in the area. And that rings really, really true. That kind of tying it to the to the local issues issues that people have been dealing with for the longest, longest time. We said at the, the top of the show as well between Matt and I, I come from a community like that and invariably it's building from those initial issues to to then understand the opportunity applicability I'm not I'm not sure what the, the right word is in that case but what I want to to come in on on that is do we have to be thinking differently depending on who we're engaging where we're engaging so we talked a lot about making sure engagement is meaningful talked a lot about co-design but does engagement look different to you For different communities or do you think we have a way to do this sort of fundamental principles that we can apply anywhere? I appreciate that's a big question.
4: Yeah, big question. I mean there (laughs) are fundamental principles that we can apply anywhere but I definitely think that you need to adapt who you're talking to is very important and at Rebowering when we do community engagement we take very much of a local approach where as because as you say each area has its own history and issues and opportunities and it's super important to base your engagement on that so you can't just use the same templates everywhere you've really got to work with what's going on in the area yeah
2: and jamie this is surely one of the is this an advantage of a more local approach to energy
3: yeah it's it's we you know no one likes stuff being done to them if you have the community with you they will support it and we did an awful lot of outreach before we did the sort of individual engagement with local community leaders uh the local council with their community team charities in the area and we were doing an awful lot of work around that What are the key drivers for these you know for the local residents just because that's a key driver for area a area b it may be something completely different or something similar you know so we worked very very hard to build that confidence and i I think whenever we first arrived on site people viewed us very much as double glazing salesmen you know and that's that's something that uh, we we worked hard <laughs> to get away from mm-hmm. um and the other thing is is the sort of the education piece the awareness this what we what we were proposing was no one had ever really discussed this with anyone before and what did it mean to them if you whenever you're engaging with communities or with individuals in a community etc that 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 you're targeting, for, a good question is, what do you want? What What is it you'd really like from this? Because then there's a psychological step for them to open up to say, well, I, I want to reduce my electricity bill. I want to have a better understanding of what's going on with my electricity. You know, and that's when you say, well, we can do this, we can do that. You know, and um, and basically, you know, one of the things we wanted to, to get across to our participants is you don't have to do a thing. Mm. Yes, this may seem to you as a complex, complex solution going in, but we're gonna make it easy for you. You will get this data, you can see it, you can make decisions and form decisions off the back of it.
0: I just had a, a question here around the costs and the benefits and, and distributing these in a fair and just fashion. So at the heart of something that we often talk about on this show is a just transition. And obviously certain communities or members of communities are going to be more or less able to afford uh, these types of systems. And then also so maybe better positioned to benefit from them. So from these projects and the learnings that you've had, are there any top tips that you have around ensuring that the costs and also the benefits of these systems are are apportioned fairly? Is this something that you've been having to grapple with?
4: What I've grappled with is the complexity of this question, because with the estates that we were working with, you've got leaseholders and tenants. So it means that when there's a project like this, it's not, you know, leaseholder tenants are not going to bear the same cost. Yeah. It was also, we realized when we started talking about costs and pricing and bills that, you know, sometimes the, the council, for instance, had a sort of pooling system where it was pooling all the costs and then um, billing people the same amount. But then do you have to change that and make it proportionate to the surface of the, the flats or do you actually have to use meet, a metering system or... Do you have to do it depending on the income? These are such big questions, and we didn't we didn't nail it down because it's it's complex and it's something that you also really need to involve the local authorities on.
0: Goodness, that is complex. The <laughs> Size of the yeah. property, income. <laughs> Sorry,
4: I don't have an. No, answer. but
0: it's these are the things you've got got to grapple with. Uh, Jamie, is there anything you'd like to add there?
3: For Girona, it was a it, it was artificial. The tenants and the uh, owner occupiers didn't have to pay for a thing. And we were giving them this for free. Mm. And it's amazing how many people said, I don't want solar panels on my roof. Really? You know, <laughs> you know what the technology is going to do behind that. Yeah, it's purely down to the aesthetics. And I think those people are now probably kicking themselves. Um, now that, you know, electricity prices have skyrocketed, etc. But to an- answer your question, exactly the same as Ava, you know, dealing with landlords, uh, you know, we, we stayed clear from private landlords because they were just a nightmare to deal with. Social housing landlords, completely different. They were bought in and actually we had the major one in Northern Ireland as one of our stakeholders. But it's it's it is it's it's quite a difficult question to answer, if I'm honest with you, Matt, because each location is different. The drivers in each location are different. The complexity I mean we were going into a large housing estate of 775 properties that from the outside all look the same but as soon as you go walk into them they're all different they've been knocked around they've had walls removed they'd have walls put in some had lifts put inside them for people with disabilities no two were ever the same so it was always different mm.
0: and and for me there's there's an element here when you start to progress beyond these design and demonstration projects when you're actually you know you're entering entering that free market kind of environment mm-hmm where you're having to ask questions around, well, how are we financing this? What kind of legal structures and governance structures, particularly for some of the projects that you're talking about, housing estates, you know, is it, yeah. do you have like a residence committee or, you know, in terms of finance, is it, is it one vote per share or one vote per shareholder? Because because th- these raise some prickly issues, which you have to manage when you're, 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 yeah. you're, you're incorporating these things.
4: Definitely. Especially when you're starting to look at, because we at Repairing London, we do community energy. So it's energy projects owned by people. With smart local energy systems, it's like a whole new area. And yes, these systems are going to be bigger and more expensive. And how do we add some community ownership elements to this? And then what governance structures, knowing that the local authority is going also to want maybe a partnership with a company. So then you've got community, local authority, company. But we're going to figure it out. It just takes time because it's all also new territory.
3: But I also think that there's there's better awareness of this technology can help with that, and I know Fraser in Scotland. If you're looking to upgrade your own home, or you know, uh, to insulate it against price rises, or be it, you know, heat loss, etc., there's there's a free service there that this, the Scottish government provide that you can phone, and they can advise you. Well, you can get a grant for this, or you qualify for that, and that's that's there for if you you know, if you're on universal credit, or you're a dentist, or whatever it is, you know, it's 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 there. And that's where I think we have a failing in the other nations in the United Kingdom. There's no one-stop shop. And it's something that we've been working with the Assembly in Northern Ireland to say, right, we, we know we've got a climate emergency. We know people want to do stuff. How can you make this information easily available and easily understandable? This
2: comes up for us all the time. We do a lot of work
3: around sort of, like we say, just
2: transition, fuel poverty as well with Scottish government. I was wondering, uh, Jamie in particular, because this, this isn't just about engagement, but also about impacts. Mm-hmm. What have, in the, the, the trial that Girona ran, what have the impacts been for, for citizens and, and for the, the wider community?
3: Okay, so Girona, we installed 60 batteries in, in various different properties, two community centres three dairy farms, one commercial basis, and the rest was a mixture of residential, both social housing and privately owned. Over a 12-month period, Girona saved on average 55% in terms of electricity bills. We generated 171 megawatt hours of of electricity, green electricity, 31 megawatt hours was exported. Now, we, we would prefer that our our participants held on to as much of that electricity as possible because if you're paying 28p a unit from the grid or from your retailer you're going to save that you know if you have it in your battery to use it later it's you know it's worth 28p per unit so there's that aspect we saved 40.2 tons of co2 which is the equivalent of taking 19 family cars off the road for a year so those were the savings from the project but we also enabled our participants to earn We had a FLEX project, which was network services uh, running at the same time by NIE Networks, which uh, Girona was part of. And that meant that every participant, there was, I think, 28 participants on the FLEX project got remunerated to about, I think it was about £25 per household or per installation. Because they were providing network services back on to uh, the electricity network in that area. And this is a first for Ireland where behind-the-meter storage has been used in that respect. And that's what we're saying to people. Not only can you save with this technology and our energy management platform, but you can also earn. And we're looking to go further with that in terms of on the commercial side, where we're actually looking at things like energy trading and working with the day-ahead market, et cetera. So you can have large, if you've got enough people in a community or a business, with enough storage, they can sell and buy electricity wholesale. So they can take advantages of those peaks and troughs. And actually, if you have someone like the Northern Ireland Housing Executive, largest um, social housing landlord in Europe with over 86,000 units, suddenly that becomes an interesting prospect for them, because they could be potentially, you know, you part of your tenant's rent is going to be their electricity as well, all lumped in. They're not you know, paying a retailer for that, the housing executive could potentially provide that for them as a standard charge, say 40 quid a month or whatever it is, up to a certain level. And these are the these are the possibilities and the the, the that we're exploring, because you know that's where the mass, uh, if uh, if you like, if you have this technology on mass, these potent- these opportunities start to become more and more um, of a of a reality.
0: Thank you so much for all of your insights. Normally, we end each episode with giving you the opportunity to summarise all that you know in just sort of 10 or 15 words. So no, no no, no pressure. But what we'd really like to hear, imagine you're pitching to the new minister of Desnes. Is that what we're
2: going with phrase now? Desnes.
0: Okay. New minister of Desnes, uh, or at least the old minister of Bayes. And I know this is increasingly you know, on their agenda. Community engagement, to maximise positive impact? Just in a few words, what, what would be the number one thing you'd be telling them to do?
4: Okay, sure. I think something that I've learned uh, the past years working on community engagement for energy projects is that you can't just talk to people about the energy future without talking about the problems of the present. You can't just sell a dream and ignore what's going on right now. And that's really important in everything that you do when you talk to people about energy or really Anything else?
0: Brilliant. I feel like we've got a, a new tagline for the uh, for the <laughs> department. There we go. Thank you, Jamie.
3: <laughs> I, 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 for me, it's it's dead simple. Just educate, educate, educate. People need to know this technologies out there, the benefits it can bring. You know, on an individual basis, on a household basis, but on a you know a regional and uh, national level. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's crazy in 2021 the island of ireland had 41% of its electricity was provided by renewables we don't talk about that people don't really care about it but people need to understand this and going back to eva's point at the start we can't have a bunch of engineers talking about engineering solutions you know it needs to be in plain speak that people understand how easy it is to actually do this because the more more people understand it the more more market pressure will be out there and we all know that governments listen to uh, market pressures so that's probably the best way to do it good
0: well you're essentially calling for more episodes of local zero Jamie and that I hope after the support so thank you Jamie thank you Eve. it's been an absolute pleasure thank you both
2: thank you very much you've been listening to local zero we hope you've enjoyed these special episodes on the prospering from the energy revolution program and that we've been popping into your devices weekly rather than fortnightly we will be back to an episode we regret to see every two weeks from now on. A polite reminder once
0: more that if you haven't already, please, please, please subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcasts from. Find and follow us at Local Zero pod on Twitter or email us at LocalZeroPod at gmail.com if you want to share some longer thoughts. And if you have one spare minute, please leave us a review if you can and help us climb our way up the podcast charts. But for now, thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye bye bye.
3: Produced by The Media.